I want to thank you all, each one of you, for being sensitive to the leadership of the Lord today. Brother Johnny put it in words, but I've sensed that that's what's happened when he got up here and said, I had another song I planned on singing, but that's not the feeling, that's not what the Lord's leading. Um, Even sometimes you think the Lord gives you an impression and our timing is off. I don't doubt that the Lord put that song on your heart, Brother Johnny, but thank you for being sensitive enough to know it was for another time. I don't know what it was. I like a a hoedown. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, But it would be... It would be foolish and maybe dangerous to try to bring a certain atmosphere into what the Lord is doing. So thank you all for being aware that he's working and he has a, a purpose. I think what has happened so far this morning, everything that has been said and, and just the feeling here, the presence of the Lord, I needed it. If nobody else did, I needed him. But also I think that it, he, God, laid the foundation for this message he put on my heart. So pray for me. Luke 14, if you want to turn with me and and read in Scripture. Luke chapter 14, we'll read a parable that Jesus told. The title of the message is, The Place of Honor. The Place of Honor. Luke 14, verse 7, where we'll start. Now, Jesus told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor saying to them, When you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lower place. But when you're invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes... He may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. The place of honor. Uh, this, This message God has put on my heart today has to do with approaching the things of God and how we should do that. And I I just feel the need to pray uh, as we continue. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's how my heart feels. That's all I have to say. Thank you and please help me today in Jesus' name. Amen. See, Jesus never uh, missed anything. There was nothing ever lost on him. He's at this presumably a, a party or a feast or a happy event, and he's looking around. And even in the midst of that, he sees an opportunity to help educate in spiritual truths the people that are there. And he gives them a lesson that is powerful and probably very uncomfortable. Jesus wasn't afraid to say things that made people uncomfortable. And he basically said, You're wrong. You made a bad choice. Here's why. 
I pray for more boldness like that. And Jesus also, with that boldness and uh, unmatched authority, he was a meek person. And that was mentioned here this morning as well, that, that there's a meekness in the presence of God. When he noticed these people that chose places of honor, see, they were invited, they got excited, they thought that they were going to make the best of it, that they were important, and they sat in the best seats. You say, what, what does this have to do with anything today? I'm not preaching about weddings. We're going to have a wedding here next week. I'm not telling you not to sit on the front row. But Jesus used a, a practical, real-life example to try to teach an eternal spiritual truth. And that's what's on my heart today, if He'll help me. The place of honor has to do with being in the presence of God. That is a place of great honor. And if you want to be in a high place of honor, a high place of a presence with God, you start out a whole lot lower. Jesus is teaching them a principle. When you come into the presence of God, you sit in the lowest place you can find, the lowest seat you can find. Don't elevate yourself whatsoever. Don't try to be seen and listen, this message will be a, a warning, but also an encouragement. A warning to this congregation and an encouragement to this congregation and other people listening. When you come into the Lord's presence, when you come into the congregation, the assembly, don't do anything to draw attention to yourself. This is a warning deep in my heart. I have seen and you have seen many things happen in the house of God, different churches that shouldn't be. We've seen it. And almost all of it has to do with people taking attention and credit that belongs only to the Holy Lord God. Don't forget what I preached last week. I said, I hope you all remember the title, do you? Fear the Lord. And I don't think it's accidental that after what God put on my heart to preach last week, we came here today with such a sense of meekness and, and quietness. That's not accidental. God is working. And I want to tell you something, if he continues to build this congregation and he continues to pour out his presence, we are going to have to continue to change. And part of what you'll have to change is wanting anything for yourself. And it's not going to be comfortable, but it'll be necessary. It feels good to go sit in a place of honor. But it feels so much better to be called up from where you were. My wife and I went to a concert um, recently, a really good artist, and, <coughs> excuse me, it happened to be at the, the school she used to t teach, so I had an inside connection. I said, hey, tell Mr. Anthony, who was in charge of everything, see if he can get us a front row seat. And we got there, and he made a real big deal about it, touched my heart, and we got up to the front of this beautiful it's Covenant Presbyterian Church. It looks like a beautiful European cathedral. And on the very front row, not even obstructed by the, the little wall they have, completely unobstructed, there's two signs with our names on them. <laughs> touched my heart. And we sat there and got to see the, the man that we went to see sing. He's a Christian, sings for the Lord. And it was nice. But it wouldn't have compared if we had went and sat in the very back and that artist looked out in the crowd and said, Hey Josh, come on up a little closer. You see what I'm saying? We made a way that was not... We, we, we 
used some connections and our friend did something that was nice for us and it, it was a blessing. And I don't think it was wrong because it wasn't done with greed or anything like that. But it, it wouldn't have compared to if, if that artist had looked out and said, come on up a little closer. Here's, that's what I'm telling you. God wants to do that. He only does that with people who aren't already in the place of honor in their own minds. I've seen a lot of religious people uh, have an attitude of arrogance when it comes to the thing of, things of God. There's this, and it's different, it manifests in different ways, but there's a group of people who I would call the name it and claim it crowd. These people, they say things like, hold God to His promises. Just claim it in faith, the victory is already yours. And I could go on and on with stuff they say that is completely unscriptural. How are you going to hold the Almighty God to anything? Hold Him to His promise. Something you read in a book that you might have misinterpreted, you're going to make God do. Come on. That's wrong. But these people approach God like that with a sense of arrogance that all you have to do is claim it in faith. But that's not how the people of God talk. It's not how Jesus talked. It's not what He taught us. We need to avoid that foolishness. I've also seen... Actually, let me read this before I continue. Hebrews 12. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. The only worship that's going to be acceptable to God can't have any of you in it. Don't forget, fear the Lord. I'm not saying you should be afraid to speak or afraid to do something, but I I don't even like to associate with people who have this attitude toward God. It makes me uncomfortable. Like, I'm afraid to be around it. You can't make God do something. There's another crowd, and this I see a lot in our ranks. It's a crowd who relies on their own self-supposed doctrinal superiority. They think they're righteous because of what they believe. And how right they are. Brothers and sisters, you can be so right you're wrong. I've seen it. I've seen people hurt by it. By doctrinal or theological or denominational superiority. We need to watch out. That's putting yourself in a place of honor that God didn't put you in. I'm pointing at that chair, by the way. You'll see why in a minute. There's other people who are assumed that they're approved by God because they've been blessed by God. Listen to me. Sometimes you think that God is happy with what you're doing because you're blessed. Listen to this. Deuteronomy 9, beginning in verse 4. Do not say in your heart, after the Lord your God has thrust these enemies out before you, it is because of my righteousness that the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. Whereas it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord's driving them out before you, not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart are you going in to possess it, but because of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God is driving them out before you, and that He may confirm the word that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Know therefore that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness, for you are stubborn people. Remember and do not forget how you provoke the Lord your God to wrath in the wilderness, From the day that you came out of the land of Egypt until you came to this place, you've been rebellious against the Lord. These people thought they were right in the sight of God because He was being good to them. The children of Israel. Why was He being good to them? 
because of the word that he swore to their fathers. Brothers and sisters, I said this before. Much of the blessing that we experience is because of people who prayed for us in the future that we don't even know. People who uh, worshiped the Lord faithfully, who surrendered their lives to Him, and who he, He made promises to that He's fulfilling now. The good that He's doing in this church isn't because we suddenly figured out something. Please don't ever mistake that. God is good because He's good. And He's doing good things because He's good. We must never mistake the blessing of God for the approval of God. God blesses you because of who He is, not because of what you're doing. Now, yes, there is the law of the harvest. Yes, there's cause and effect. Yes, Scripture teaches us to be diligent. You could talk to me about that. I preach about diligence. But here's what I'm telling you. You can be the most diligent, upstanding, upright, the best Christian you could ever be. And every blessing that you get is still because of God. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, with whom is no variables, neither shadow of turning. No matter how much righteousness you have, it is not because of works of righteousness which we've done, but because of His own grace He saved us. Every good gift comes from Him. Doesn't mean we shouldn't try. It doesn't mean we shouldn't worship. It doesn't mean we shouldn't try to be good. But we recognize we didn't cause it. We didn't cause any of it. God did. Sometimes God's blessings serve as confirmation that He's pleased with us. That's true. But you shouldn't be looking for the blessings of God to see if He's happy with you. You should be seeking the presence of God. There's a big difference. Just because your life is comfortable for a season or just because things are working out well for a season, that can actually flip and become bad. You can start to think everything's okay because of the comfort of your flesh. Because things are easy. And don't think the, the reverse of that either. Things are hard, so I must be doing it. No, don't think that. That's silly too. The way you know if you're with the Lord is if you're with the Lord. Is His Spirit abiding with you? Are you walking with Him? Like that song said, Hand in Hand with Jesus. Do you know how we sing that just kind of like, Hand in Hand with... I was thinking about those lyrics. We actually get to walk through life, not literally with Jesus. Jesus is in heaven, but the Holy Spirit walks with us as if we were holding His hand. We don't, he doesn't just give us instructions and we have to go do them on our own. He walks with us. It's beautiful. Some people treat church as the place to be seen for how good they are. They go to church to put on a show and be seen. It's dangerous. It's not just a bad idea, it's dangerous. Best case scenario, God pulls His presence back. And that's terrible. Worst case, He might kill you. You say, I don't believe in that anymore. God hasn't changed. And there are plenty of people in history who died because they tried to take His glory. We don't need to treat church as the place to be seen for how good we are or to make sure that people know we're doing something. Jesus taught this, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them, otherwise you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. 
There's a newer translation I like that I think it gets it across better. Watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose the reward your Father in heaven has for you. Which one do you want? Recognition of man? Or the sweet, tender blessing of God that's quiet? God's not noisy. He doesn't compete with all this. The prince of the power of the air, he's noisy. God is not. God is stable. I'd much rather have the blessing of the God than a claim from man in my heart. Now, my flesh, I still struggle with some of that. We probably all do it in different ways. Not only is church not the place to be seen for what we're doing or how good we are. We're not talking about just giving money. It's not that. It's, it's the whole thing. It's, Mark Twain would call it putting on airs. And by the way, that's not why I wear a suit. I'm not putting on airs. I'm not acting. I'm not, because you see me the rest of the week, I'm in shorts and a t-shirt. I quit dressing up. I don't like it. I'm tired of it. I did it for too many years. But I do here, not to impress you, but out of respect for God. That's what's in my heart. And I'm not criticizing someone else who doesn't feel the need to dress up. to the, You don't have to. But that's what's, that's what's in my heart. One little thing to show the Lord reverence. But I don't do it to be seen or to, to feel good from, from someone else. Don't do it to be seen. Some people, this is another category of people. This is a warning and also an encouragement. Why do I say it's an encouragement? Because by God's grace, there hasn't been a lot of this here. By God's grace, we haven't been dealing with a lot of uh, self-focused chaos. By God's grace. But it can happen. We need to be aware and keep our eyes on Him. Some people treat church as a place to be heard or make what they believe are complicated points. I've seen very smart men who I think a lot of in other churches who know way more about Scripture than I do. And they're, they're smarter than I am and they have more wisdom than I do. And they get up and they make a point that they've been developing in their own private studies for weeks or months. And it has no spiritual impact whatsoever. All that happens is the congregation thinks, wow, he's, he's way smarter than I am. It doesn't accomplish any spiritual good. We don't need to be that way, brothers and sisters. If we come to the house of God to say something, it needs to be because He put it in our heart, not just because we've been uh, developing it in our own private time all this time. Be careful and say, well, what are you talking... I'm not pointing fingers at something. I'm just saying, this has happened in other churches. We need to be aware and on guard in our own hearts. Paul wrote to Timothy, remind them of these things and charge them before God. This is in this category. Not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. How many honest hearers have been turned away by religious elitists discussing, dis discussing things that don't even matter? They don't even matter. Can I tell you something? I don't care about your eschatology. And neither does God. And if some of you don't know what eschatology means, God bless you, you're probably better at serving the Lord than the ones who dwell on it. We get, people get hung up on these 
obscure doctrines, quarreling of words, listen, which does no good but only ruins the hearers. The pure gospel is for people to hear, to understand in their spirit, and for their hearts to turn to God. Not for their minds to be amazed or persuaded by complicated things. We need to be aware and cautious of that. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. A worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Part of rightly handling the word of truth is not to try to be smarter than you are. We don't talk about that part of it. Now, we shouldn't try to be dumb either. But when the Apostle Paul said, I determined, I purposed in my heart, I made it my goal to know nothing among you save Christ and Him crucified. Why? That the power and the preaching would be in His power and demonstration, not through wisdom of words. I've spent enough time public speaking that I can get up and put together a pretty decent presentation. But it won't be any good unless the Lord is in it. So there are times I study and then complete... I don't even take notes sometimes. Sometimes I have detailed notes that God put in my heart and I only use part of them. Sometimes I completely set them aside because it has to be from the Lord. That's part of rightly dividing the word of truth. But he continues, avoid irreverent babble. Avoid irreverent babble. Listen, brothers and sisters, the house of God is not the place for foolishness. You notice some preachers, some old preachers, who should be examples, they start every sermon with a joke. It's not appropriate. Now, sometimes y'all laugh at something I say, but it's not because I'm telling a joke. It, it, things are circumstantially... Humor is okay. There's nothing wrong with laughing. But I'm saying this, this is life and death. This is a dying man preaching to you about death and life. And I don't know how many chances I'll get to do it. I get to do it today. So I'm not going to waste time telling you a joke. No irreverent babble. Why? Because it'll lead into more and more ungodliness. Their talk will spread like gangrene. And he goes on and names people that are participating in this um, cultural chaos. We don't want to do any of that. He says, uh, I'm going to move ahead for the sake of time. Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. That's the point. We have people battling for their lives, for their sanity, for their very ability to exist in this life and in eternity. We don't need to waste time trying to impress them with complicated doctrines. I'm not saying you shouldn't explore complicated doctrines. There's a mystery that God wants to reveal to His people. But there's a place for that and there's a place for worshipful reverence. And our minds get in the way of that. This is the house of God, brothers and sisters, friends. 
This is the place where we come together collectively to worship the Lord and pay Him reverence. This is God's house. I think we forget that sometimes when we think of my church. This is God's house. I preached before, this is His body, but today I want to dwell on this is His house. When you go to someone else's house, if you have any sort of decency about you, you try to observe their house customs and, and, do, and, and, and be respectful. I have some friends who don't wear shoes in their house. And you know that when you go to their house because there's six pairs of shoes by the door of all different sizes, neatly arranged. And, and if they're, if they're uh, say, Korean, they probably have flip-flops for you to put on because they have house shoes and they have public shoes. That's their house. I don't take shoes off in my own house, but when I go to their house, I take my shoes off. Do you see what I'm saying? That's their house. We may have ideas of how things should be, how we want things to be, what we want to happen, what a church should be, how to grow, how to whatever. This is God's house. And in His house is His presence. And we better make sure that we are interacting with Him and His Holy Spirit in a way that's pleasing to Him. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't just grieve Him by not saying things we should have said. We grieve Him by doing things we should know better than to do. Just like when I go to my friend's house, I should know better than to wear shoes in there. I should be observant enough to know that. When you come in the Lord's house, you should be observant. Like, I'm saying this as, as a compliment to y'all, because this happened today. We should be observant enough to sense what the Holy Spirit is doing and, and step back or keep our mouth shut if we were about to do something that doesn't fit. This is God's house. I, I love this passage. For from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear Him. What's he talking about, the psalmist? He promised God some things. <laughs> when God saved him. When y'all were saved by the grace of God, didn't you promise God some things? I did. He says, I'm going to fulfill my vows in the congregation of his people. The primary purpose of us coming together. I want it to be real. I want it to be authentic. We don't need to create an atmosphere, like I said earlier. It, what was in our hearts this morning was bringing burdens, very meekly, very humbly, and praying. And that was appropriate. And the primary purpose of this place is to worship God. I didn't say but, I said and. Sometimes you need to do that. We don't come here primarily to get something off our excuse me, to get something off our chest. Some people treat church like the place to get something off their chest. That's not the primary purpose of God's house. Now, it's okay if you need to get something off your chest if the Lord's in it, but if He's not in it, it'd be better to do it somewhere else. It'd be better. I've seen a lot of people getting things off their chest and it causes chaos and problems and hurt. Be careful. This isn't the place to feel smart or good about yourself. You could do that somewhere else. Here is God's house. Let Him put you in the place of honor. I mentioned pointing to that seat earlier. When I was an, a new preacher, oh, I felt so, I still do, I felt so 
overwhelmed, outclassed, incapable for the task. Not timid, not scared, but not at all able. And by God's grace, he allowed me to preach under and alongside of some elders who were a good example. There was one in particular, sort of a stereotypical what a preacher should be, I think. Some of these attributes that I struggle with, like being kind and gentle and meek, I struggle with those. He doesn't seem to, this man. So y'all know him. But I remember I was just a kid, just 20, 21, something like that. And I went to preach at the church he was pastoring, and I sat over there out of the way somewhere, maybe where Brother David is, or maybe, maybe the front row. What he told me never meant much until this message, until now. He looked down, he said, Brother Gregory, come on up a little higher. He made me sit over there. The seat of honor. And that is a seat of honor. This is a seat of honor where I am standing. And I didn't place myself here. Do you see what I'm saying? That was an example that God is now teaching me something from uh, 15 or 16 years later. I, re- I remember that memory and he's teaching me a truth from it. It was an honor to be called up. Brothers and sisters, it is a great, deep honor to be called up by the presence of God. When you're in the Lord's house and He burdens you to say something, if it's from Him, that's Him saying, come on up a little higher. Why would you quench that? No, I'd rather sit in my bad seat. I'd rather sit with this pole in the way where I can't see why I... No. So when God leads you to do something, do it. Because that's Him saying, come on up a little higher. Come to this place of honor. I, this might feel like a strange transition, but this is the rest of what's on my heart. I want to give us some principles for approaching the things of God, the place of honor. Just some principles, just things on my heart, in no particular order, but God put them there. The first one, don't ever put yourself in a place of honor. Let God do that. When this church called me to pastor, I didn't send you all a resume. I didn't call and ask for an appointment. And when it started being hinted by different, not hinted, some of them were direct. <laughs> thank you, thank you, because I, I needed that. It, I, none of it was me trying to get in a place. If anything, I didn't really want a pastor because I had before, and it's a burden. It's hard. It takes a lot out of you. See, when I get up here to preach, this isn't about me, but these are things in my heart that I need to tell you. When I get up here to preach, I'm not just preaching something that I prepared, a speech, or even a sermon. This is an outpouring of burdens God has given me during the week for y'all. Because I'm not just studying something that I want to show you I know. I'm trying to pray during the week, God, what does this body need? And I can't find that on some kind of intellectual quest. You can only find it from the Holy Spirit's revelation. That's just one example. You could come up with examples of your own of how God put you in a place of honor that you didn't seek out, ask for, apply for. 
It's a beautiful thing. And this is, it's a place of honor to be your pastor. I'm humbled by it. But God did it, and y'all let me know that he was doing it. It wasn't something uh, like, like a, a job application. Another principle. We must approach the worship service, and this should be a worship service. Sometimes I think it'd be better if we had a separate prayer service. <laughs> and I don't mean that critically, but I mean... Maybe we should have a prayer meeting where we can bring all our requests and burdens and things and just pray about them and we come here ready to worship in this service. That's something y'all to think about, pray about. We should approach the worship service with our eyes on the Lord and how the desire of our heart should be, Lord, how can I please you? How can I honor you? How can I lift you up? Rather than, what can I do to make me feel better? If we're honest, I'm not being mean, but sometimes a week is hard or the month is hard or our life is hard and we just want to come here and feel better. And that's a byproduct of something better happening, which is worshiping the Lord. If you want to feel better, worship the Lord. Get your eyes on Him. The next point, have a sober opinion of yourself. No man should think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Another way of putting it, don't, don't think you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given you. That's the measure. We can compare ourselves to each other. We can think we're doing well. You know what it usually does? It makes you critical toward the other person. And it makes you forget that you're not doing well in some areas that they're probably doing well in. I'll give you all an example of that. I have a pet peeve about being late. I, I, don't, I just don't understand it. I, I, li- like I literally don't understand it. And you can tell even that I feel my flesh being a little bit irritated. But you know what? Some of you late people are a lot better at being kind than I am. That's just one example. None of us has it all right. We're all striving and pressing toward the mark of the one who's laid hold on us with such mercy and purpose. Have a sober opinion. That's being aware. I'm aware I've got some weaknesses. It's okay. God's working on them. Here's another point that, thank God, it hasn't been an issue here this year at this church very much. But I have seen it become a dominating force in some other congregations. Taking advantage of the liberty of the Spirit. Be careful. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, and I'm thankful for that. It's a beautiful thing. Be careful you don't take advantage of that liberty. Just because you can say whatever you want here doesn't mean you should. Make sure it's from the Lord. Sometimes, let me give you an example of that. I was going to mention this later, but there's an example in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was the prophet of the Lord. He was his primary mouthpiece. That's not true about me or any preacher today. Jeremiah was the primary mouthpiece of God at this time. He said, the word of the Lord came to me and and told him to do something. He said, by this land, your uncle will come, by this field. And he listened, and then, listen to this. Then Hanemel, my cousin, came to me in the court of the guard in accordance with the word of the Lord and said to me, by my field that said Anatoth, the land of Benjamin, for the right of possession and redemption is yours, buy it for yourself. Then Jeremiah says, then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. 
the primary mouthpiece of God, was told something by God, and he wasn't 100% sure if it was God. What's my point with that, a principle? Sometimes it's okay to trust but verify. Sometimes it's okay to have faith. Sometimes it's okay to say, Lord, I feel like you're telling me this, but I want to be sure because I don't want this to be about me. That's okay. I'm not talking about being scared or not doing something you should. But if the primary mouthpiece of God at this time in history waited for confirmation and said, then I knew this was from the Lord. It's okay for you to do that in the appropriate context. Now, don't look for some obscure sign. That's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to have faith. But God confirms the things that He's giving to His people to do. When He saved your soul, He confirmed it. And He continues to confirm it. I don't have to go back to when I was 14 to see if I'm saved or not. I've got a lifetime of repeated confirmations that I know Him. My grandfather used to tell his testimony. He didn't know anything about God. He grew up and he said, I thought God was a cuss word. That's what I knew about God. And he said when the Lord saved him, he went home. And they, they didn't have running water at that time. And he went and to the spring and got some water and looked at the stars, looked at the water. He said, Lord, you're in the stars. Lord, you're in the water. He said, God confirmed what he had done. It's okay for you to get confirmation from the Lord. And sometimes church would be a lot better if people did that more. Don't pride yourself on being right. I think that goes without saying. Be willing to wait on the Lord. Uh, let me just preach to myself for a minute. Maybe, I don't know if you all need this, but I do. Sometimes if God has burdened you with something, you need to trust that He's going to make it happen. And wait on Him. If He's placed something in your heart, be encouraged by this. If He's placed something in your heart, He will bring it to pass in His own good time. Yeah. Say, well, I've seen people say something was from God and they died first. Well, then it wasn't in the right time. If it was, He would have brought it to pass. We can trust that. Another principle, nothing of eternal value is accomplished in your own strength. Hear this one again. Nothing of eternal value is accomplished in your own strength. Zechariah 4.6 Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. The Spirit of God. Now, that applies in the natural world. How much more does it apply to spiritual things? We're trying to do something spiritual here. I hope. It's true for me. I think it's true for a lot of you. I'm not trying to fill up pews or repave the parking lot or something. I'm trying to be used by the Lord to accomplish something spiritual. The only way it's possible is if He does it. Not by might, not by power, but by His Spirit. Another principle, despise not the day of small things. What's going on here in this little church to the world? It looks like small things. I, we're even invisible, to, literally invisible. To a lot, I promise you, a lot of these cars drive by and they don't even know this building is here. Because people, they, they live life with blinders on. But what God is doing here, even though it looks small to the world, if He's in it, it's not small. 
I've been in big churches. I've been in front of a lot of people at different times. Unless he's there, it's not any good. I mean that literally. It's just not any good. I, I had a season of life where I wasn't pastoring and I took a, a, a few, I don't know, a couple months and went around the different churches around here. And I would go and some of them I would just sit there. This is just bad. It's just not... And they might have had talented worship band. They might have had a very polished speaker, but it just wasn't real. We don't want to be that or have that or, or do that. Not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. And don't despise the day of small things. Listen, small, small with the presence of God is much to be preferred over successful without any evidence of God's presence. You want to be small and have Him or be successful and not have Him? I'd rather have Him. Even if that means we stay with 20, 30, 40 people forever. Now, I'm not trying to make that happen. I hope this congregation grows, mainly so we have the means to do something in this community. I pray for that. But, I want the Spirit of the Lord. And I would rather have what we have here now than ten times this many people and less of His presence. I'm almost finished. Just a couple more points. Sometimes people with really good intentions, they see that things aren't working the way they think they should. People have certain ideas about how things should transpire, what should happen, what success means. And they apply it even to religion. They think church should do this, this should happen. I've even heard people say, if you're not growing, then God's not pleased with you. And they mean growing, they mean more people coming. I think, how do you know that? God Himself, Jesus the Messiah, spent most of His time with 12 people. But by modern standards, they would condemn that his ministry was unsuccessful. Here's the thing. We don't know what God's doing. Sometimes people, um, through good intentions, they try to come up with some techniques or methods or plans to make things better. And y'all have noticed since I've been here, I've resisted that. I've, I've, uh, it's the opposite of that. We don't need to do anything the Lord's not in. Nothing. Or maybe mow the yard. You don't have to feel led to mow the yard or sweep. Or, but, I, but you understand... What I'm saying. Here's the point. Spiritual people crave the Spirit of God. Spiritual people crave the Spirit of God. And I've heard people say sometimes, well, people aren't coming because of this or that. People aren't coming because they don't like the decorations. We need to modernize our bathrooms. We need to sing newer songs. We need to do this. Maybe those things are good ideas. But they won't fix the problem. Because spiritual people crave the Spirit of God. And if you try to use natural or carnal or secular means, you're going to get carnal results. I can use techniques that I learned in a marketing class. And I'm going to get people who respond to techniques instead of people who respond to the living God. Spiritual people can have enough spiritual maturity. And this is something I pray for this congregation. They can have enough spiritual maturity to recognize that secondary things should be treated as secondary. In other words, we come here, there's a central thing. The Lord and His presence and His love and a a sense of love. I think everybody here would agree that this is a loving congregation. That's a good thing. And there's some stuff 
Maybe some people get on your... Maybe I get on your nerves. I'm sorry. I'm not perfect. Maybe some people here rub you the wrong way. Maybe, there's, maybe you don't like the bathrooms. I'd kind of like to have warm water in the bathroom. But I'm not going to not come to church because of it. Maybe you don't like the music. It's too old-fashioned. Well, it, Southern Gospel's not my favorite music either. But I would much rather have the presence of God than my musical preference. Spiritual people, brothers, hear me on this. They're able to let go of all this peripheral stuff that doesn't really matter. And this is an admonition to you all as God continues to be with us and continues to grow us. Let go of everything that doesn't matter. He'll continue to work. Here's the truth. The Spirit of God mitigates all those other issues for a sincere seeker of righteousness. Do any of y'all think this is a perfect church? No. Why do you keep coming? Because there's something more here. And that's enough. That doesn't mean we don't have room for improvement. Of course we do. We have room for improvement and expansion and development. I'm praying we have all of those things. But if the Spirit of God Himself, listen to this, if the Spirit of God Himself is not too good or too holy or too advanced to meet with us, what does that say about an individual person who feel like this body's not up to their standards? If God Himself is not ashamed to meet with us, and somebody else says, I don't want to go to that church, they don't have this thing or that thing, or what does that say? I'm not looking for my own designer religion. I don't want to build a church according to my own expectations and standards. I want to be in a congregation who's striving to submit ourselves to each other and mutually to Christ and Christian love. Listen, it's, this, maybe it's for the future, but it's in my heart. It's, it's wasted energy for us to complain about things we don't like, even privately to ourselves. If you can do something about it, do something about it. But much better to focus on what we have right, which is love and worship in the Lord and His presence being with us. Here's, here's what a mature Christian does. And I pray God will raise up mature. And there's a lot here. I pray He'll make us all mature Christians. Here's what a mature Christian does. Lord, You've placed me here in this body, in this season, for reasons that you know. Help me serve my other body parts well. Help me serve you well. Help us all serve you well. That's what a mature Christian does. God, you put me here. I don't understand every single reason why. And I see a lot of good and maybe some things that I don't care for, but you put me here. Help me serve them and you. That's what a mature Christian does. They don't pick apart a bunch of little stuff they don't like. If you could get a song ready, here's how I want to end this message. May we be ever mindful of our own weakness and wholly reliant upon the righteousness of our great God. May we be ever mindful of our own weakness and wholly reliant upon the righteousness of our great God. He's enough. I'm not go- Listen, I'm not going to be enough. I will disappoint you. I'm sorry. I, I, I will if I haven't already. I'm just a man. But God won't. He's enough. 
And he's what we need.